This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Good morning on this Thursday, February 23rd. You're listening to WNBF. New York State has awarded millions of dollars to Johnson City to encourage more economic development activity in the village's downtown business district. Governor Kathy Hochul announced the award as the Southern Tier winner in the ongoing downtown revitalization initiative. The village submitted its application for the funding five months ago. Hochul said Johnson City laid out a very clear vision of what you want to see for the future with a plan designed to spur job growth and tourism. Mayor Martin Meany said we are at a tipping point and this is going to launch us well past where we need to be. Meany recalled Johnson City's vibrant downtown that had existed when he was a child. He said as manufacturing businesses left the village, our downtown lost its life with a slow and steady decline. The mayor said the revitalization of the downtown district started with the construction of Binghamton University's pharmacy school building. That project marked the beginning of the health sciences campus along the Corliss Avenue corridor. Meany also cited the 156-unit apartment complex being developed in what had been the abandoned Endicott Johnson Victory Building. Johnson City officials now will develop a strategic investment plan to determine specific projects to be funded with money from the state grant. The money is to be used for projects targeted on nearly 200 acres in the downtown section of the village. The new after-school Satan Club being organized for students at a main Endwell school is expected to hold its first meeting in three weeks. June Everett of Colorado is the group's campaign director. She said the first after-school Satan Club was started near Portland, Oregon in 2016. In a WMBF radio interview, Everett said the club is an alternative option for public school children whose parents don't necessarily want to send them to Bible or evangelical religious clubs. Everett said there are seven after-school Satan clubs in the United States in comparison with over 5,000 programs sponsored by evangelical organizations. Everett acknowledged some people aren't always happy with the name when they hear about plans to establish a new club, but she said, we believe this is part of our First Amendment rights and what makes the United States free. She said the First Amendment isn't going to defend itself. Everett said the kids that are attending love it, the parents that are attending love it, so we're here to stay. And she also said, we've received a couple of permission slips electronically for Homer Brink students, but she added, it's really hard to gauge how many kids we will have on the day of the first meeting which is scheduled for March 16th. Flyers distributed to Homer Brink students stated after-school Satan Club does not attempt to convert children to any religious ideology. Maine Endwell Superintendent Jason Van Fossen has noted although this district has given permission for after-school Satan Club to use school facilities, it is not endorsing the organization. An anonymous tip from the community led to multiple drug smuggling charges at the Broome County Sheriff's Correctional Facility this week. Investigators from the Corrections Investigation Unit of the Broome County Sheriff's Office received information from anonymous community members that an incarcerated individual, Devin True, age 36 of Endicott, was allegedly smuggling contraband into the correctional facility. As investigators began to initiate contraband protocol, True attempted to flush a package of contraband down the toilet of his cell. Officers and investigators recovered the container and further investigation revealed multiple packages containing various narcotics and contraband, including 167.5 Suboxone strips of three different dosage. Within those strips, 13 were found to have contained a green dot. Further testing revealed these dotted strips contained methamphetamine, two packages of marijuana and synthetic cannabis, one package of tobacco, and 113 matches and six striker strips. 
As a result of the investigation, Devin True was arrested and charged with criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree, criminal possession of a controlled substance, promoting prison contraband in the first degree, tampering with evidence, and promoting prison contraband in the second degree. This is the second time True has been arrested on contraband-related charges at the Broome County Sheriff's Correctional Facility. On January 31st, 2018, True came into the facility, and during his initial search, he was found to be in possession of a contraband package. The package was opened to reveal heroin, Oxycontin, pills, synthetic cannabis, tobacco, and matches with the striker pads. He was arrested and subsequently sent to state prison for the charges related to this case. At the time of the most recent arrest, True was serving a Broome County court sentence related to a petty larceny charge. In Broome County Court, Jermaine Archer, age 46, of Binghamton, was sentenced to terms in New York State Prison after entering a plea of guilty to criminal contempt in the first degree and assault in the second degree. Archer entered a plea of guilty to the charges in March of 2021, but failed to appear in court for sentencing when directed. On the 21st of February 2020, Archer violated a court order of protection when he broke into a room at the Econo Lodge in the town of Dickinson and assaulted the person who the order stated he was prohibited from contacting. The order was in place from a previous domestic incident with the same victim. Archer was located by the Broome County Sheriff's Office Warrant Division in October 2022. He was sentenced to three years plus five years post-release supervision on the assault charge and two to four years in New York State Prison for the criminal contempt. The sentences will run consecutively. And New York officials gave final approval Wednesday for a measure that will lower the hourly threshold for when farm workers qualify for overtime pay. Under the adopted measure, the overtime pay threshold will gradually be reduced to 40 hours by 2032. It's a move applauded by labor movement advocates who have long called for tighter labor protections for farm workers. Right now, farm workers qualify for overtime after working more than 60 hours per week. To help farm owners adjust to the new measures, the state is expanding tax credits for farmers to ensure the new standards are implemented smoothly. National Weather Service forecasts for downtown Binghamton. Today, showers likely mainly before 9 a.m. Cloudy with a high near 48 degrees, a 60% chance of rain. Tonight, rain showers likely before 4 a.m., then a chance of rain and snow showers. Mostly cloudy with a low near 27 degrees, wind gusts as high as 28 miles per hour, a 60% chance of rain. Tomorrow, snow showers likely mainly before 11 a.m. Areas of blowing snow between 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Mostly cloudy with a high near 31 degrees, wind gusts as high as 38 miles per hour, a 60% chance of snow. Tomorrow night, mostly cloudy with a low near 15. Saturday, chance of snow showers mainly after 1 p.m. Cloudy with a high near 31 degrees, a 30% chance of snow. Saturday night, mostly cloudy with a low near 21. And Sunday, mostly cloudy, a high near 44. Sunday night, mostly cloudy, a low near 23 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. I'm Joseph Rennie for Thursday. I hope you are. The number is 607-772-1290. The thought line is open. If you have a thought, share it with America and the world on WNBF. Across at me, with eyes that look but cannot see, I 
Enough of that. Why, why even have a smooth fade? Why do they even run that at the start of the program? Must be somebody has an agenda. John from Binghamton, good morning. You're on the air. Uh, you, you know, Bob, you could always uh, procure that tape that uh, WHRW uses when uh, the university is shut down. Uh, they they must have you know hundreds of hours of mood music that they. I've put heard on. that. I've I've yeah. heard that. That's uh, you know I wouldn't uh, wouldn't rule out one of these mornings at least the first hour. Say if I'm trying to focus, I might I might make special arrangements with the people at the Mighty H. See if we could uh, grab about forty eight minutes of of some of their finest when uh, when the students are. Are away for holidays. Well, uh, I'm off my subject, but I, I, I there was a, an interesting thing that happened up at the Five Towers in Vestal. There was a popular disc jockey, Dan Doherty, uh, who did the night shift, and he either had a record hop or something that he had to uh, do. So he taped the entire uh, Friday evening show. Uh, the only problem is he put it the tape deck on the wrong feed. <laughs> 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 so, for, so for hours and hours, uh, it was uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Oh my gosh! Uh, the, uh, you know, I want to talk about things that you can't talk about, and I'm not going to talk about those things that you can't talk about. But I will, uh, uh, because this this goes way way back, and I I traced it back to the letters to the editor when they stopped. Uh, numerous newspapers stopped taking uh, uh, letters on abortion. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, of course, early in his career, made that a point that he wasn't going to talk about abortion on his radio talk show. Uh, certainly, uh, anything to do with the Holocaust you can't talk about. Uh, ask Binghamton University graduate Norman Finkelstein about that, who is who was one of the first... Uh, People canceled his, uh, I think his parents were in a camp, a brilliant man, courageous man, uh, and what was done to him uh, when he dared question the, what he termed the Holocaust industry. Uh, now, you can go on, on to the present day. We, we, we can't talk about a contrary opinion on COVID and the vaccines and masking. And... We apparently have no say on this war, this Ukrainian war. Now, I want to make it clear, because it's, it's so sensitive when you mention Ukraine uh, and the people in the peace movement, which had gathered in, in Washington. You know, when you're talking about Ukraine, you're ta not talking about the Ukrainian people, and you're, you're talking about an authoritarian dictatorship over there, uh, who, if you believe some of the press reports, is scared to death that if he makes peace, he's going to be assassinated. So there's all kinds of, of things there. But you can't talk about any of these these issues. Uh, certainly you can't talk, uh, express a religious viewpoint uh, on homosexuality. So uh, how much of a free country uh, do you have 
Well, it's when, a free when, country. It's sort of like a free country um, insofar, it, well, it, it's not a perfect analogy, but it's sort of a free country in the way that uh, you, you have to look at the fine print and the disclaimers uh, at the end of a car leasing ad or, or maybe a pharmaceutical commercial. There's a lot of fine print, I mean, for purposes, for advertising and marketing purposes, the USA is a free country. In point of fact, some restrictions not may apply. Many restrictions apply. I mean, I well, obviously, of course, I work here at a government-regulated radio station, and we also need to keep listeners and the advertisers uh, happy, so it's very limited. There are constraints about what your humble host can say, and and as you suggest, just generally, um, whether it's on a talk show or in most other venues, there are constraints, and and there, I think, I think the the rules of what you can talk about at any given time. I mean, they're always in flux. There's no website that gives that outlines what you may and may not talk about. But let's face it, when you step over that imaginary line, you'll find out. Well, this is why technology is moving towards they, they want to know what you're thinking because, uh, <laughs> you know, Everybody, when they're watching TV, whether it's a program or a commercial, probably when they see somebody on TV or, or something, they probably have the same reaction, but they won't say it, of course, because it, it might might be insulting or it might be uh, impolite. To, to or viewed as doing. insensitive. You right. know, there are many words that, that would apply, but that's why... Uh, except for billionaires, I think I think the only people in the U.S. and the only people generally in the world who typically have freedom of speech are billionaires. Now, obviously, some billionaires, Elon Musk comes to mind, uh, use their freedom of speech more than others, and and some sort of uh, even though they're billionaires and as I'll use the euphemism they could get away with saying a lot of things tend to try to toe the the basic line so as not to uh, adversely affect their business interest or or public perception so it's you know freedom of speech on a planet of eight billion people true freedom of speech I think exists for a few dozen, several dozen. I don't. I don't know. Well, there. Well, however many billion. I guess there are a lot more billionaires than that. But but most billionaires don't don't choose to talk about anything. Notice when well, Elon Musk tweets about something that that people don't like to see, some things that might be viewed as cringeworthy tweets or something that's not politically correct. He gets he stirs up a lot of people, and he usually laughs because. He, he knows he can get away with it. Well, let me get to the local angle. Now, a lot of times I talk on your show and people would uh, construe it as being negative. Uh, and and, and the, the reason that I'm negative is the track record here is not one of positive uh, uh, that would lend itself to taking a positive assessment to all these economic development announcements. And one line on Johnson City. You know, Johnson City has already spent about $100 million between the university, uh, the theater, uh, $20 million on the theater, uh, and the EJ 
factory housing. So $100 million has been spent already, and Johnson City isn't revitalized yet. Now, we're, we're, going, we're going to have to believe that the last $10 million <laughs> out of $100 million is going to do the trick. <laughs> well, maybe it will, maybe it won't. I mean, we'll see. There, there's well, certainly, it presents a delicious opportunity. Well, what, what I say uh, to, uh, you know, to Johnson City is, uh, and I like this new mayor, I think he's a straight shooter, uh, why don't they take the $10 million and build a new fire station? Because they had a central fire station down there, uh, which they closed. Uh, uh, you know, uh, blow it all on a, on a, on a brand-new fire station. Got to compete with Binghamton, you know. And that is a beautiful fire station. And Vestal, by the way. Vestal as uh, another delightful fire station. So I, I think, I mean, Endicott, with its fire station on East Main Street, even though it's several decades old, I think it's, as far as I know, it still is serviceable. But I, I think I, I could see Johnson City. Um, it, hey, you could probably borrow Binghamton's fire station design tweak it a little bit and you could probably get a decent fire station built a new fire station for johnson city for seven million dollars and then use the remaining three million dollars to uh you know as a down payment on your on the village's well, first parking garage i can see the the rock climbing wall at the mall I can see a <laughs> well, by the way did you see the house of spurt i mean the house of sport they um they uh they closed uh um uh, one of uh, the sporting goods stores out near Albany, mysteriously. And that operation, now that I think about it, it's a very secretive operation. I'm surprised that an operation that was founded in Binghamton now has such a policy of secrecy and mystery. But um, they never, they will never talk about what they're up to. Um, I mean, not even with their hometown friends. And uh, But the latest is they, they shut down... Uh, one of their sporting goods outlets outside Albany, sadly, a teeny tiny 66,000 square foot sports outlet, and now they're going to convert it into a house of sport. But it's well, but they won't confirm it. See, that's the thing. The Albany Times Union did like I do, and like all great reporters do, even mediocre reporters will call uh, the business and say, Hey, or email, because they don't take calls. And, uh, hey, you know, what are you doing with your um, with your properties in Binghamton or Albany area or whatever? And they, they never come up with a straight answer. It's always, you know, we can't tell you. We can't tell well, you at this time, which means they'll never tell you. So the Times Union did a story that the uh, sporting goods outlet that they shut down recently is going to be turned into a house of sport that's the one in latham but it's well, it's sad for them because it's only sixty six thousand square feet whereas our big house of sport will be the biggest on the planet at least they say when it opens in june and uh 140,000 square feet i mean at least john with its climbing wall it represents a destination uh yeah uh but the problem is, I think, is is the people that will be attracted to that. Never do wells. Uh, well, <laughs> Can you, you imagine know, you a bunch of ne'er do wells and protesters hanging out at the new house of sport? 
well, you can't go play miniature golf without a heavy uh, <laughs> incident. So I, I <laughs> wouldn't that be funny? We've all been looking forward to the house of sport, the the well, biggest house well, of sport, and then it turns out like, oh, geez, we, well, we didn't see. <laughs> Bunch it, of people nice run, running around the neighborhood with golf clubs and baseball bats. Well, I, I think a driving range, you know, where you could fire off shots to the other driving range. Wait a second. <laughs> Wait a second. They stopped selling weapons. Well, I mean, firearms, right? They don't. Yeah. They don't. They're not going to change that policy for House of Sport, are they? Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that be shocking? I mean, I'm not saying they would, but wouldn't that get national or world attention if well, it turns out they made one exception for for the company stores, and it turns out, yeah, um, 50,000 square feet of the House of Sport in Johnson City will be used for that specialized department. That, well, that would generate some headlines. Well, if you remember uh, Starbucks before the bloom fell off the rose there, Howard Schultz announced this grandiose... Uh, cafes that, I mean, they were going to be huge, and, and they were going to be like a rainforest cafe or whatever, and they were going to have booze and everything else. So, uh, you know, the the problem with the athletic leisure wear business is it's incredibly long in the tooth. Three, Maybe four, the House eight. of Sport will have sort of um, a tavern. <laughs> well, I'm just th- I'm I'm coming up with ideas. I know they listen. See, that's the sad thing. All these people who never comment about their plans, you know they listen and they jot down whenever they hear a good idea, they jot it down and say, "Yeah, well, let's run that past the uh, uh at the at next week's board meeting. That that might actually actually be a, a, a tavern at the house of sport oh and and delicious and they could turn it into a sort of a house of sport bar i i think mr sport was here uh, uh sunday for the day yes he was I, I know how you know that and yes <laughs> i was uh, thinking of you when i i'm i'm thinking hey i should call john because because of course mr 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 sport uh, we believe <laughs> And then, you know, but, but you well, know. Let me say w- one thing yeah. for their investor relations. Uh, they, they've they been good to me. I had a, a, a 25 or a 35-minute phone call with, with them, uh, with a couple of the corporate people, and they, they filled me in on, on a lot of things that I didn't know. And uh, at one time I had correspondence with them about uh, an a, 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 a amount of money uh, that just appeared on the balance sheet, and uh, they couldn't find it. They, they they couldn't find it for weeks, but they <laughs> find it. So that that, that they I'm uh, mm. just saying that they they're responsive to uh, investors anyway. Well, maybe I ought to become an investor. Maybe yeah. maybe that's the problem. If I were an investor, I would get my phone calls returned. Yeah. But I don't think that'll work. Thank you. It's nine twenty-seven. I always thought because the place was founded in Binghamton, I always thought their PR people might make an exception. If you say you're from WNBF in Binghamton, suddenly in their computers they entered in the information. They would say, "Oh, Binghamton, New York, where this operation was founded." Yes. Yes, let's let's hand let's provide special treatment for this media inquiry. All other media inquiries will get the usual response, as in none. 
but because it's from Binghamton, where we were invented, those media reps will at least get some answers when they ask relevant questions about the future. 928, this is Bob Joseph, obviously living in some sort of strange fantasy land. 607-772-1290 is the number. Listening to News Radio, WNBF, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. We're not... Good morning, you're on. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. Hey, I heard you and John talking about when, <laughs> and I know you're right because I don't, you know, I'm, I'm more comedic. I don't mean to put anybody down, but I call them creeper listeners. Like, I think thousands of people listen to this station and they don't call in, they just creeper listen. And I find out it's the darndest thing. I mean, people who think the only way you can keep your listening habits secret is if you listen in private but the problem is or if you never talk about the program but what happens is all these people who are monitoring because one thing even if they don't like the host the one thing they love is when either the name comes up directly or if they're referenced indirectly as something they're up to now something they're planning yeah. to do or maybe something great they did in the past especially you know the yeah. people and I won't go any further, but they know who they are. The people who they or their families have, in fact, done great things for this community in the past, they actually love it when the host will make reference and they say, yeah, we did that, or uh, my dad, or my dad and uncle, or whatever, or my mom, we did that. Right. And it, but they'll never call in, they'll never acknowledge. Every once in a while, I'll Until, run in. Yeah. Yeah, every once in a while, I'll yeah. run into them, and they will acknowledge kind of sheepishly, hey, I, I heard what you, you said about, um, you know, our family business or whatever. Thanks. I mean, they, they do appreciate it, but they rarely, if ever, will call in to lower themselves to communicate directly with the host. I know. I think it's because people, they always tell me they don't like hearing their voice. I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. Luma. I said, oh, I listen to you all the time. Are you on the radio? I said, uh, well, I don't have, I, I used to have my own thing, but no, you're talking about Bob Joseph. Oh, yeah. And then um, who else? Uh, Spring Forest Cemetery. John takes care of the place. He's, he's mentioned that he listens all the time, doesn't call in. Of course, uh, some of them call in. The other morning, Jim Emke heard his name when he called up. Well, and that's another thing. I, and, you know, the good thing about Jim is, yes, he listens. He's got a broadcasting degree like me. Right. And and 
when when something's relevant and not just if his name or if his uh, station or if the news channel 34 tonight at six if that's brought up he doesn't necessarily call in but say if he has something to contribute about a topic if he has time he will call in and that's that's very much appreciated right here's what i, I wanted to the main thing i wanted to tell you about because you said because of what you said earlier you were talking with john i've mentioned it before on main street in jc maybe it's called westover but it's johnson city across from the former ID, it's pronounced in German, Aldi, right? Is that all that land for GE, and then it was BAE. And what did I tell you that should be? Do you remember? I've always told you what that should be. I said, if you get some investors... A Chick-fil... Invest- no, a Spam Filet. It would no, be a place no, that no. sells Spam sandwiches <laughs> every day of the <laughs> week, including <laughs> Sunday. Spam Filet. And there's plenty of room... TV and J's. Yeah, Spam and peanut butter. There's plenty of room... For all the traffic, they could even have outdoor seating, picnic tables, so you could enjoy your spam filet sandwiches. It would be a destination, be run by the same well, outfit. You don't remember. I can't believe it. You don't remember. Kramer on Steinfeld said PB&Js. They only serve peanut butter and jelly. No, no. I said, I called up at least once. I said, if the millionaires, now it's Mark Yanati, and I got him wrong. If he's listening, I saw him on New Year's Eve. I said, hey, I'm DJ from the radio. I, he had a website or has a website where people take pictures and put on, you know, pictures of, of not the best things going on in Binghamton garbage. And I misunderstood it and I kind of like put it down a little bit. But I want to apologize to him because the reason he does it is because Mark United has such a heart for for um, Binghamton that he, he just wants people to stop putting their garbage out on he does. Friday he, he, when they don't pick it up till Wednesday. Right. He and cares. And he, the wind blows it and the squirrels eat it. Well, let me say this, Mark United and all you millionaires. There's a great investment opportunity in all that land across from the former Aldi in Johnson City on Main Street, which was the BAE, all that land. Remember, Bob doesn't remember. I told him it would make a great water park in the summer and ice festival place in the winter. He, being in construction, could build hills of big hills, mounds of dirt for snowboarding in the, in the They're winter. They're not going to let him do it. He's, he's not one of the favored developers. So if if he were part of the in crowd, if he were part of the in crowd, and you know, I, I don't it. need to name the names, but favored developers, uh, don't do, uh, <laughs> don't name names. They know who they I are. Won't. They're actually listening. I know. <laughs> and yeah, um, but do. but the bottom line yeah. is, you know, look that's that that's bad. been it's been sitting there for year after year I after know. year. The flood happened for those who have failed to pay attention the flood happened in september 2011 so it's been close to 11 and a half years that that land has been unused now granted the first couple of years it couldn't have been used because we we needed the federal government to come in because it was a very expensive probably the most expensive demolition project in the history of broome county they had to come in and tear down that massive facility, a 600,000-square-foot facility. I remember that. It's amazing. And um, and they did, and now we have the land available. It's been available for about a decade, and it just sits there. I drove by it and this morning. Of, right. And because of political differences, it's going to sit there. That's a shame. And you know what else? I think it's because of parking, though. But people, nobody wants this because Demi said, the former mayor Demi said they came and looked at that McCrory's. I moved out of here the last month of 91 to go pastor a church in Peoria, and it was just going empty. 
I come back in 2001, 10 years later, it's still empty. It's still sitting there. McCrory's, that huge space. You, you know what I'm talking I about? I know. Right? I know. And, and yeah. what I'm still hoping, now that things are moving forward with the village and with the award of the $10 million from New York State, I'm hoping that everything that may start to go on in the downtown business district will help incentivize the owners who've been sitting on these properties to find proper tenants and put them back into use. That's that's uh, an excellent location in Johnson City as far as the uh, inside of the building. I don't know how much work would be needed, but I think it's an appropriate location, and I think somebody with the right vision and also with access to the financing could come up with a great concept. And Faze Drugstore and the former uh, Dollar General across from Faze Drugstore and all these places and all these pharmaceutical professors at the pharmaceutical college, they have money. They could invest and start businesses, but the mayor has to prompt them to. The mayor has to know what I'm doing. Look at Rich David. When Rich David was mayor, he got investors to come to this area. He got the Colonial going. He got the Dos Rios going. He got the barbershop, the Muckles. These other mayors, they're not business. I used to tell Mayor Demi, go take a note from uh, go take notes from Mayor Rich David. Let him tell you how to get investors to Johnson City to get all those empty. There were 18 empty buildings last I counted on Main Street from Pat Well, Capital. who knows? Keep an eye out. Maybe Binghamton University will demolish some more. They just tore down another one over on uh-huh. Lewis Street. I mean, no, make them something nice. No, I know. I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying, look at all the buildings that have been torn down over the last three years. And then there's one building left, and the guy that owns that building won't sell to the university. So they're probably thinking, huh, can we use eminent domain? Huh. Well, they, you know, they probably could, but I don't know that they would prevail. It would be. I think it could get ugly, but but that one building, the one apartment building that's left on Lewis Street, everything else on that street, yeah. every other structure has been torn down by the university, and the one guy refuses to sell. He's yep. even this week he's been investing money in that property, and so I I I don't know what's going to happen. Thing. Maybe maybe he thinks BU is liberal. He's a conservative. When you mentioned that yesterday, you and James Kelly on the news, I drove by there. It's a nice apartment. It is. He says he doesn't want. He wants his tenants to stay there. It's nice, but the rest of it's going to be a park. And but there was also a nice apartment building, uh, a very nice and bigger apartment building across the street. Nothing much was wrong with it. It was a big, sturdy brick building, and the university bought that to only to tear it down. So yeah, at, at a, to sell it. right at a time, at a time when uh, affordable housing is in short supply in the triple cities. A lot of affordable apartments, a lot of affordable apartments in that part of Johnson City uh, have been torn down. Binghamton is smoking. First Ward Action Council is getting buildings and building them, and and they're needing people to to move into them. Yeah, but but the thing about those buildings, those those buildings, I believe, even before they open, they have a waiting list. Yeah. And that's the problem. Say, there, there's, there's a huge demand for affordable housing around here. And when a new project is announced... Well, that's good. 
Yeah, it's good. A waiting list. They're doing that. No, that no, that's not good for the people who need affordable housing. There are a lot of people in in the triple cities now living in substandard apartments who need better housing that's affordable, and it's not good. Every day or week or month that goes by when they're living in a place where you or I wouldn't want to live, that's not good. Well, what I'm saying is the company has to do a background check so they, they don't they don't let just anybody in. I know I know how it works. Now Governor Hochul was in Johnson City yesterday and one of the things she talked about was this housing initiative statewide and we'll see what happens. She wants every community in New York State every year to develop a certain amount of of new housing. I think it's a I think it's probably a good idea. I don't know if it is going to get anywhere, but I I hope it does because it's needed. Bob, one more thing because a week it's a weekend, and on Monday you're going to tune in uh, to your well your station usually doesn't do it, but WSKG does all the movies in the box office and what they did. Jesus Revolution is in theaters. I sent an email to James Kelly. He said I'm going to go see the Cocaine Bear. I'm like go see the Cocaine Bear. Go see Jesus Revolution. It's with Kelsey Grammer about all the hippies getting saved in the. The 70s. It's at the Regal and the AMC Lowe's. All right. Appreciate your call. It's 943. This is Bob Joseph. WNBF. WNBF.com. Joseph live at 945 WNBF. John Tokus from the Binghamton Plaza. Mr. Tokus, the property manager on the uh, north side at the Plaza property. Good morning. Good morning. I had a couple of things I'd like to bring up. The McDonald's, the old McDonald's with the arches across the street, the city bought that for a guy off a amount of money paid to have it tore down everything. That piece of property sits there with garbage all, all over it. It's been a mattress sitting there for freaking weeks over there. And they don't, so that's one of the complaints. I mean, you got a place like that, the city does nothing about it. Just sits there, all that taxpayer money gone. They sold the former CVS across the street to, for the mentally, uh, uh, I guess it was a mental uh, rehabilitation or something clinic. And that's, so that's going off the property. Off the property. Taxes. Then we got. He was saying yesterday, the other day, that eighty-nine percent of the plaza is vacant. It's not. He, and he said there's three vacant, three off properties. Every one of those are occupied. I don't know if he knows that. The city also has a fifty-foot easement all the way around this building. They have access to the river park, uh, into the river, the the walk, everything, and they do not take care of that at all. They do mow the lawn in the back there which is the county, I think, most that. He said a lot of things that really, you know, and today I go around the back and I have a, a car where the guy passed out in it. And he, he complained because I called 40 times of things that happened here. So what am I supposed to do? Not call? 
you know, somebody's passed on the back. I don't know what's wrong with him. You know, I pounded that in the window, the guy woke up, you know, and he drove away. But that's the thing about it. 40-something times, everyone was abandoned cars. People passed out, you know, passed out in the parking lot. Well, you know, what occurs to me is city officials use the police records and other records that they have, only they have access to which is convenient, they use them when it's convenient when they try to prove a point. They used those police records with, with the town and country apartments a few years ago when Mayor David wanted to uh, threaten, I think, threaten the place with a lockdown or some sort of action against the owners. And the thing is, in a lot of cases, whether it's the owners of residential properties or commercial properties they're not the ones causing trouble they're actually in in many cases not all cases but in many cases those property owners essentially are are victims and they're in in certain neighborhoods of the city usually uh lower income neighborhoods where some of these problems inevitably occur whether it's sometimes drug use or domestic disputes or other problems and it's it has nothing to do with who or I should say it probably has little to do with the owners of the property. And I, I think it's fascinating that they, when, when it suits them, they'll bring out these numbers. Now, if I called up and asked for the police number of police calls for some place in Binghamton, say another retail complex or whatever, uh, they'd be like, eh, you can't get it, or you could foil it. They wouldn't make it easy. So, you know, that's, that's how these things work. Correct. I mean, the city takes comes out front here, and they take their dump trucks and all their trucks, all the drivers practice in the middle of the parking lot out here. I mean, on top of it, you know, and they go around this building. Nobody uses that side street to go get down to that park. They all come around the plaza, which is not a problem. You know, they could they could help maintain that that road around there. They have an easement. It's a fifty. 50 foot easement off the side, off on our property to you know get around this building they're always they're back there fixing their lights half the time you know and everybody hang they don't hang they hang out back there right. whatever right. i mean it it's you know we don't care if people park right there for the you know do use the basketball court that what did you think easement. about the public hearing yesterday or uh, the public hearing I on thought Tuesday it was terrible i think they threw you know you really can't we had no councilmen to show up to make my opinion may have stood up the set up in the audience and played on his phone half the time. You know, if, if you look back, he's kept looking at his phone, looking at his phone, looking at his phone. You know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe he should have sat, you know, sat down there and answered a couple questions. But you know. as as they said, public hearing was not a forum for questions. I personally, I know that was part of sort of the legal proceedings as they want to go forward with eminent domain. But it seems to me that it would be a nice gesture on the part of the city yes on the one hand they are uh pursuing uh potential legal action against the owners of the binghamton plaza but it also seems to me that it would be uh, a nice gesture on the part of the mayor and and city council to actually have a public meeting not a hearing but a public meeting where people could actually talk about this have a discussion and ha ask questions and that might potentially be more productive but you know who am i i'm just a radio host hey i gotta run so keep okay, me keep me posted okay yeah that's john tokas he's the property manager for the binghamton plaza on the north side this is bob joseph on news radio wnbf it's an
Joseph live on a Thursday morning at WNBF. I said upside down, you're turning me. You're giving love instinctively. Round and round, you're turning me. Upside down. Boy, you turn me inside out. And round and round. Upside down. Boy, you turn me. Hey, it's February 23rd. Hope you're having a superb day. Here's the forecast from the National Weather Service. Mostly cloudy today. Few showers here and there. High, 48. Cloudy tonight. Rain and snow showers. Low, 27. Tomorrow, cloudy. Snow showers likely in some areas of blowing snow in the morning. The temperature will plunge to 23 by late in the day for Saturday. Cloudy with a chance of snow showers, high 31. Right now in downtown Binghamton, it seems to be rather nice. <laughs> Everything is relative. Rather nice. It's 38 at WNBF. Guidance for tomorrow, actually late tonight into tomorrow, northwest winds will be gusty with peak winds of 30 to 40 miles an hour expected. So don't say you weren't warned. You've been advised. You're put on notice that there could be some gusty winds tonight. So as one late night comedic host once said, hold on to your wigs and keys. You're right. It wasn't funny when he said it. And it's certainly not going to be funny when I say it. Coming up after the news, Town of Dickinson Supervisor Michael Marinaccio. If you WNBF Where news breaks first News Radio 1290 WNBF Good morning on this Thursday, February 23rd You're listening to WNBF New York State has awarded millions of dollars to Johnson City to encourage more economic development activity in the village's downtown business district Governor Kathy Hochul announced the award as the Southern Tier winner in the ongoing downtown revitalization initiative the village submitted its application for the funding five months ago. Hochul said Johnson City laid out a very clear vision of what you want to see for the future with a plan designed to spur job growth and tourism. Mayor Martin Meany said we are at a tipping point and this is going to launch us well past where we need to be. Meany recalled Johnson City's vibrant downtown that had existed when he was a child. He said as manufacturing businesses left the village, our downtown lost its life with a slow and steady decline. The mayor said the revitalization of the downtown district started with the construction of Binghamton University's pharmacy school building. That project marked the beginning of the Health Sciences campus along the Corliss Avenue corridor. Meany also cited the 156-unit apartment complex being developed in what had been the abandoned Endicott Johnson Victory building. Johnson City officials now will develop a strategic investment plan to determine specific projects to be funded with money from the state grant. The money is to be used for projects targeted on nearly 200 acres in the downtown section of the village. The new after-school Satan Club being organized for students at a main Endwell school is expected to hold its first meeting in three weeks. June Everett of Colorado is the group's campaign director. 
She said the first after-school Satan Club was started near Portland, Oregon in 2016. In a WMBF radio interview, Everett said the club is an alternative option for public school children whose parents don't necessarily want to send them to Bible or evangelical religious clubs. Everett said there are seven after-school Satan clubs in the United States in comparison with over 5,000 programs sponsored by evangelical organizations. Everett acknowledged some people aren't always happy with the name when they hear about plans to establish a new club, but she said, we believe this is part of our First Amendment rights and what makes the United States free. She said the First Amendment isn't going to defend itself. Everett said the kids that are attending love it, the parents that are attending love it, so we're here to stay. And she also said, we've received a couple of permission slips electronically for Homer Brink students. But she added, it's really hard to gauge how many kids we will have on the day of the first meeting, which is scheduled for March 16th. Flyers distributed to Homer Brink students stated, After School Satan Club does not attempt to convert children to any religious ideology. Maine Endwell Superintendent Jason Van Fossen has noted, although this district has given permission for After School Satan Club to use school facilities, it is not endorsing the organization. An anonymous tip from the community led to multiple drug smuggling charges at the Broome County Sheriff's Correctional Facility this week. Investigators from the Corrections Investigation Unit of the Broome County Sheriff's Office received information from anonymous community members that an incarcerated individual, Devin True, age 36 of Endicott, was allegedly smuggling contraband into the correctional facility. As investigators began to initiate contraband protocol, True attempted to flush a package of contraband down the toilet of his cell. Officers and investigators recovered the container and further investigation revealed multiple packages containing various narcotics and contraband, including 167.5 Suboxone strips of three different dosage. Within those strips, 13 were found to have contained a green dot. Further testing revealed these dotted strips contained methamphetamine, two packages of marijuana and synthetic cannabis, one package of tobacco, and 113 matches and six striker strips. As a result of the investigation, Devin True was arrested and charged with criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree, criminal possession of a controlled substance, promoting prison contraband in the first degree, tampering with evidence, and promoting prison contraband in the second degree. This is the second time True has been arrested on contraband-related charges at the Broome County Sheriff's Correctional Facility. On January 31, 2018, True came into the facility, and during his initial search, he was found to be in possession of a contraband package. The package was opened to reveal heroin, Oxycontin, pills, synthetic cannabis, tobacco, and matches with the striker pads. He was arrested and subsequently sent to state prison for the charges related to this case. At the time of the most recent arrest, True was serving a Broome County court sentence related to a petty larceny charge. In Broome County Court, Jermaine Archer, age 46, of Binghamton, was sentenced to terms in New York State Prison after entering a plea of guilty to criminal contempt in the first degree and assault in the second degree. Archer entered a plea of guilty to the charges in March of 2021, but failed to appear in court for sentencing when directed. On the 21st of February 2020, Archer violated a court order of protection when he broke into a room at the Econo Lodge in the town of Dickinson and assaulted the person who the order stated he was prohibited from contacting. The order was in place from a previous domestic incident with the same victim. Archer was located by the Broome County Sheriff's Office Warrant Division in October 2022. He was sentenced to three years plus five years post-release supervision on the assault charge and two to four years in New York State Prison for the criminal contempt. The sentences will run consecutively. And New York officials gave final approval Wednesday for a measure that will lower the hourly threshold for when farm workers qualify for overtime pay. Under the adopted measure, the overtime pay threshold will gradually be reduced to 40 hours by 2032. 
It's a move applauded by labor movement advocates who have long called for tighter labor protections for farm workers. Right now, farm workers qualify for overtime after working more than 60 hours per week. To help farm owners adjust to the new measures, the state is expanding tax credits for farmers to ensure the new standards are implemented smoothly. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, showers likely mainly before 9 a.m. Cloudy with a high near 48 degrees, a 60% chance of rain. Tonight, rain showers likely before 4 a.m., then a chance of rain and snow showers. Mostly cloudy with a low near 27 degrees, wind gusts as high as 28 miles per hour, a 60% chance of rain. Tomorrow, snow showers likely mainly before 11 a.m. Areas of blowing snow between 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Mostly cloudy with a high near 31 degrees, wind gusts as high as 38 miles per hour, a 60% chance of snow. Tomorrow night, mostly cloudy with a low near 15. Saturday, chance of snow showers mainly after 1 p.m. Cloudy with a high near 31 degrees, a 30% chance of snow. Saturday night, mostly cloudy with a low near 21. And Sunday, mostly cloudy, a high near 44. Sunday night, mostly cloudy, a low near 23 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Joseph live in living color on News Radio WNBF. It's another hour. You're going to learn a few things, so turn up the radio and grab another cup of Joe and listen to WNBF. Thursday, February 23rd. Bob Joseph with you. We'll be taking some calls later this hour, so hold your thoughts. Right now, we welcome back to the program Town of Dickinson Supervisor Michael Marinaccio. Good morning. Well, good morning, and it's uh, great to be back. What is the state of the town? I I know everybody is giving their state of the something speeches. The uh, county executive with his state of the county message and I guess um, a few weeks ago, State of the Union. So what is the state of the town of Dickinson, if you could sum it up in one sentence? One sentence, uh, the state of the town of Dickinson is uh, we're, in, we're in a good state. Uh, you know, we're busy, lots of good things happening, a few challenges, but otherwise um, we're, we're in really good shape. All right, thanks. That's all the time we have. We'll check back with you in a couple months to see uh, what else is going on in the town of Dickinson. More in-depth coverage from WNBF News, your in-depth coverage station. All right, um, in all seriousness, so the the walkway, the pedestrian walkway that I've enjoyed for about 55 years, and you know I'm one of the biggest proponents of pedestrian walkways over interstate highways. You tell me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Truth, I, I think I've actually used that walkway from Old Front Street over toward um the area of Bevere Street near the entrance mm-hmm. to Otsenango uh, Park. I've probably used it 
maybe five or six times in my life. Oh, well, good for you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, yeah, I, I may uh, be I, almost a record holder in that respect. Uh, you might be. Uh, well, we have we have some residents. <clears throat> excuse me, here that live in uh, the town of uh, Sunrise Terrace, and and uh, a few that live over in the Shenango Shores, Morningside Heights area, and I see them walking. Um, across that bridge into Ottenango Park uh, quite a bit. I know my wife does as well. I've walked it uh, a few times, especially when it was still in uh, progress there as they were building it and and getting it set up. Um, I think it's a wonderful thing. I I feel so much safer, and same with the people that are using it now, walking to Ottenango Park from this area, uh, or if you're even walking into the city, going to work or whatever they're doing. It's a a much safer path uh, than the old walk bridge that um, we had here. So one of the things things that surprised me a few weeks ago when I did this story that DOT will be removing Mm -hmm. the old bridge, the one that was constructed about 55 years ago, I had to do research to find out it actually opened in January 1968. That's correct. Yeah. And um, so... There was even controversy back then about whether <laughs> whether it was going to be worth all that effort. Some people in the Sunrise Terrace neighborhood did want the bridge built, and a lot of other people said, well, you build it, it's not going to get that much use. And I know over the years from talking with DOT representatives, they did actual counts over the last couple of years, or last few years. And, yeah, they did. Yeah, and and the numbers, I think occasionally in the summer you, you would have uh, a peak, but it, it appeared on, on some days there were very, very few people who that, actually used true. it. Yeah, very true, Bob. Uh, and that's good. Well, you, you did some research. Um, back in the days when they were talking about that bridge and then actually building it, um, I was still in Buffalo. I was a kid. But uh, I did a little bit of research, too, and and I know that there was some controversy. A lot of people felt that, hey, um, this area especially, we're in the Binghamton School District, and, uh, you know, there were school buses available then, as there are now, and uh, some people said, we don't need that bridge. And then, of course, others thought it was a great way to... um, I don't even know if Ottenville Park was there. That was the one thing I tried to find, and I don't no, know. It was it was not a thing back then. Ottenville Park, yeah. Park, I believe, was developed in the earlier mid seventies. I don't recall mid-70s. the exact year, but I. That's, yeah, that's but right. yeah, the the park wasn't there when the uh, pedestrian bridge over the highway was constructed. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, a lot of us. When I say a lot, there's a number of people, including myself, my family, uh, using that bridge pretty much primarily to get to Ottenango Park. Now that that bridge is closed and and the new bridge and the new um, all-purpose trail is is ready uh, and done, uh, you know, it adds about, I'm going to guess, maybe a half a mile, maybe three-quarters of a mile, which is (laughs) good for some of us. And, you know, for for walking. So it doesn't really add that much as far as walking distance. But honestly, Bob, over the last few years, um, we've had problems. We had, you know, people coming over this bridge and doing harm here in Sunrise Terrace. 
and uh, breaking into garages and robbing bicycles. And, and I know that they came from the other side because uh, our sheriff's department had uh, traced some of these uh, kids and uh, adults that were coming over here to do harm in this area. Also, there was a lot of drug activities going on. And that walk bridge wasn't uh, well lit. I mean, so it was a safety concern. So even though I know it's a very sensitive subject with a handful of people here in Sunrise Terrace, and rightfully so, there's a lot of memories there, I, I think it's that bridge had to go. And, and, and even foremost, the bridge doesn't even meet uh, the federal highway standards uh, today. So something had to be done, and there was no way that they can justify spending, I don't know, maybe several million dollars, uh, two, three million dollars to replace that bridge. There was no way that they can justify that with the new the new Front Street Bridge being built. So sometime during the upcoming construction season, I would mm -hmm. guess sometime during the summer, the DOT will have that old bridge removed. Yeah, that, that, that's correct. Um, we don't have an exact date, but the, you're saying this construction season, so that starts probably early spring and, and, and through the year. So I, my guess is it's going to be down before the end of summer. And, and that's going to be a little bit of an issue because in order to take that bridge down, um, they're going to have to do like they did with the, the old Front Street Bridge when they were taking that down after the new one was built. A lot of jackhammering is going to be going on. Uh, a lot of work will probably be done at night for safety concerns uh, with the traffic below on I-81. But I, I have a lot of faith in the Department of Transportation. I, I thought they did a great job. You know, we're going to have to prepare for a little bit of noise here in the Sunrise Terrace area and, and maybe a little bit in the Binghamton side. Uh, be a little bit of noise for about a week or so, but, um, you know, that's what they have to do in order to safely uh, put that bridge down. 1020, this is Bob Joseph. We're speaking with Michael Marinaccio, the town of Dickinson supervisor. So some residents in the town are concerned about a recent land purchase made by SUNY Broome Community College. Give our listeners an overview of what's going on. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> Remember, we, we're only here till noon, so... Okay, we got until noon. I, honestly, this all started with conversations that uh, I was having with um, SUNY Broome President Kevin Drum, and then he was gracious enough to at least uh, take some time to meet with me and discuss the, that they were purchasing the property and, and how that developed. And, you know, was it, you know, the foundation got involved at first. And then once the foundation was through with it and the county um, and the school itself <clears throat> made a decision to go ahead and purchase that property, which I don't think has taken place yet. I don't think the purchase is complete. There's probably a contract or whatever. The concern is, is that, that area, that neighborhood, Shenango Shores, uh, and the joining neighborhood, Morningside Heights, which is in the town of Shenango, is very prone to flooding because of the runoff that was coming off that hill. On the Dickinson side, after a couple of flood episodes that we had, especially when you have a flash flooding where the water is coming down fast and furious on off of that hill, it created havoc for our residents to live in Shenango Shores. So it's a very sensitive area. So anytime you hear that there's some possible project going up there, um, we all panicked. 
I panic, the residents panic, and a group of residents that live in that area have been very vocal, and rightfully so, and we've met with them several times. And uh, I'm on their side. Their concerns are warranted. So um, with that said, now I've also been told that there is really no solid plans to do anything up there for years to come. So I have to take, you know, their word for it. When I say their word, Broome County and and um, the president of SUNY Broome, that there are no immediate plans. But I'm always suspect, and you have to be. Well, you know, and the other thing is, it's no secret, Kevin Drum is retiring, and he won't yeah. be around, you know, what he says now, say as of February 23rd, may be 100% true. No plans, no no plan to plan to make plans, but who knows with a new president and ultimately the SUNY Broom Board, hey, things always change, and we know that. I mean, we whether it's that. Binghamton University or whatever, you know, it's they, they can say one thing, and, and if conditions, circumstances change and new opportunities present themselves, well, of course, they're, they're going to take advantage of, of emerging opportunities. And, and that I could see where that's one of the things that residents would be worried about, that, yeah, they, they might be fine in, in February 2023, but what happens mm-hmm. six months down the road? You're absolutely right, and that's been discussed. Um, things can change, and it could change rapidly. I, I think Kevin is going to be leaving in June or July. <clears throat> that might be a little a little liquid at this time. I'm, I'm not really sure. But I know he's retiring. And I also know that Binghamton University, in my mind, there there's a role there for them. And then obviously there was some talk about them taking over uh, Sydney Broom administration, um, and then I think that that got shelved uh, from what I'm hearing. But things change, and they change rapidly. Uh, I know that Binghamton University is running out of room for student housing, and that's probably one of our, our biggest concerns is for that to happen uh, up there. So, yeah, it, it's a major concern. Um, we're going to be keeping a close watch on it. it if something happens, if, if the project actually comes to play up there, we're going to be taking a really good, hard look. And I reminded the residents and some of those who may be listening that haven't been part of the meetings that we've had, I, the town of Dickinson loses a lot of control over what's happening up there. We, we actually have no say on what goes up there, how it's built. There's no code involved. It's all done through county and state. So that's a major concern as well. What we'll watch for definitely is making sure that in the future, whether I'm here or not, a supervisor uh, watching you know what they're doing and what they're doing about water runoff, drainage, flood control, those type of things. And also keep in mind that town of Shenango affects us as well. And I, I have lots of conversations with uh, Joanne Klenovic about that, and I'm partnering with her in a meeting in the very near future with our new Senator Leah Webb to discuss funding, you know, a major, major project in the town of Shenango to uh, mitigate flooding. And they're looking at 10 to $12 million to mitigate flooding. And there's also a application for a solar farm up in the town of Shenango area, up near Smith Hill Road. That's a major concern because, you know, they're talking about clearing 20 or 30 acres of trees. 
I read where they were going to install a couple of um, uh, ponds, you know, detention ponds or retention ponds, it's one or the other. And those work fine when you have light rain, but when you have these heavy rains like we've experienced, those ponds will fill up. And when that water, as my public works commissioner mentioned to me this morning, when that water is coming down fast and furious, those detention ponds become null and void, and the water just runs right, right across them. And where does that water go? So there's, there's there's a lot of questions, and there's a lot of concerns. And anybody live, living in town of Shenango, Morningside Heights, Shenango Sheriff, they have every right to be concerned. And then several days ago, there were some logging operations that started oh, yeah. up on that, that property on College View Road. What was going on there? Yeah, they were, well, you know, we were concerned. Um, we had, <laughs> we we were very much aware that the logging was going on. And as we got a little bit more into it as to you know, what they were doing and how much they were doing, we had to put a stop work order. Uh, so that gave us enough time to sit down with the loggers, um, who were pretty good people. I mean, they were they were very willing to sit down with us and talk about what they were doing, how they were doing it, and we wanted to make sure that the uh, MS, I believe it's MS4 regulations, DEC regulations, um, that get involved when there's harvesting, and uh, they did the the harvesting company or the timber company put everything in place that they had to put in place with netting and making sure that there was no runoff, making sure that any of the um, tracks that are produced in soft dirt, you know, where water will follow, uh, we made sure that all of that was taken care of and done properly, and they did. And the the work order, the stop work order was lifted that same day, and then they were able to... Um, go back to work. They're doing selective harvesting. Uh, they said they're taken down, and we, we've we actually noticed they're taking down a lot of the ash trees, some, some of which were actually damaged from disease, but the wood was still good. And uh, so we're okay so far with what's going on uh, with the logging up there. And keep in mind, Bob, that logging or tree harvesting or or however you want to label, label it, is actually considered agriculture. It's under agricultural rules, and that's considered farming. So, uh, you know, there, there's regulations that have to be followed, and uh, that's, what, that's what our concerns were, to make sure that they were following those regulations. So have they wrapped up their operations on the site? I, I don't think they're quite done yet. I think they have a little ways to go. How much, I, I'm not really sure. But they're close. They're close to being done. You know, obviously, what's happening is they're they're taking down trees where they're going to be able to, you know, make some money with the with the current owner. It's an LLC, and uh, once that's done, and and I hope that the um, Sunny Broom or whoever is in charge of of purchasing that property in Broom County, I hope that they're also keeping an eye on things too to make sure that things that are happening up there don't interfere with whatever future plans they might have. So what did you think when Binghamton University President Harvey Stenger in January uh, made reference to having students living up there on the campus at the town of Dickinson and so they could enjoy their courses and enjoy student activities at Binghamton University? It seems like he was basically uh, 
previewing coming attractions. That's <laughs> yeah. how that's how it, what it sounded like to me. I shuddered. <laughs> I really did. And you know, I mean, God bless the students. There, we. I, I forgot what the percentage is, but Broome County. When you look at Binghamton University, and well, most of the students at SUNY Broome are local, but it's a high percentage. And it creates jobs and this and that, but it also creates havoc. And when the SUNY Broom uh, dormitories first opened up a few years ago, we had a lot of problems. Uh, a lot of criminal activities were going on. I mean, and those were well before. Gunfire. Remember, there was gunfire. There was gunfire. In, in, the, uh, in the dorm. Oh, they were they were taking over our streets and they were taking over our basketball courts. And, and it just was a... Not a very fun time, and of course, I I would sit down with Kevin, and we, and, and you know, I mean, they took care of the problem. They 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 actually dismissed a lot of those students. But here's the thing: right now, those dormitories. Now I hear different numbers, but I know at the very least they're about fifty percent occupied. So, if if there, there is room for Binghamton University students. Now, are they better? Or, I mean, are they worse? I, I don't know. Most of those students are from out of town, which sometimes uh, gives me a little agita, you know? <laughs> but out of town students, I don't think have as much respect for the area as do our local. Again, that's just me talking, but I, I am concerned, and I'm concerned that in the, in the near future, not the far future, Binghamton University somehow is going to be able to go up on top of that hill and build additional student housing. Now, there are other factors that I've learned in talking to our uh, our uh, Broome County chairman, who's been very helpful. I've actually talked to Jason Garner. He's been very helpful and, and, and open about this whole thing that's going on up there. And uh, it would take an awful lot for a New York State University particularly Binghamton University, to take over any portion of that county-owned property. So we'll see. I, I, I'm i going to hold my breath and, and wish for the best. But have you I, spoken with Harvey Stanger directly? You no, know, I, I have not. Um, he certainly is on my list to contact, and I and I hope that he will. And he's a, I mean, I, I know Harvey. We've had many conversations in the past, but not recently. And he is definitely on my list to, to have a, a private conversation with, and we'll see what's on his mind. 1032, we're talking about issues in the town of Dickinson with the town supervisor, Michael Marinaccio. Vacant homes, they're a problem all across our region. It's not Everywhere. unique to your town, but you do have some specific issues with some specific properties in Dickinson. Yeah, we, we do, Bob, and this has been an ongoing issue for years. For every community in Broome County, we all have that problem. Binghamton, uh, they have hundreds of vacant homes. I don't know what the number is now in Dickinson. We've demolished around seven or eight of them over the years. Um, I think you and I talked about a house on 36 Pulaski, which is one of the worst pieces of property I have ever seen, especially inside. It, it's just unbelievable. We ended up going to a state Supreme Court uh, to fight this thing and uh, get it demolished. We condemned it, but we wanted to also demolish it. <clears throat> we won that case, and uh, right now we will be planning. We're going to be getting estimates and uh, RFPs, uh, you know, for requests for proposals, 
and that building is going to be coming down. And there's a few others. So I do you, one across the, right. I one across the street from me that's been vacant for seven years. It's a beautiful home. But here's the problem. We can't find out whose hands that home is in now because the mortgage company took it over and then they sold their mortgage to somebody else and then to somebody else. And the, the property on the outside is semi-taken care of. They cut the lawn. But now I cannot find out what bank or what mortgage company is holding that mortgage. And I called the county, and they're always helpful, but they can't find out. So, you know, everybody wants to know what's going to happen to this very attractive house that's slowly deteriorating because it's been vacant so long. Yeah, so, it's, yeah it's, it's a problem. It's sad. The, uh, the abandoned house at 36 Belasque, is, is that likely to be torn down this spring? I... My guess is yes. Yes. In another part of the town, um, the old St. Anne's School, the last I knew, was still sitting there. That's on Adams Street, so yeah, that's, short street that's near. There. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with that, Bob. That's, um... Well, we did a story a couple years ago about the plans mm-hmm. for Fairview Recovery Services. They wanted to expand their operations into the old school. And, yeah, and my my understanding from the executive director of Fairview is they, at some point, they still want to, they still intend to uh, expand there. What have you heard? Well, I mean, they, there was some expansion uh, in, in the building that they have now, and um, they went through the planning board. Um, is that I the one it, that's on Prospect Street, just yes. uh, adjacent to the the old school? Yes, sir. Yes, it is. And uh, and they've been great. Uh, we've had no problems with that. The uh, latest round of uh, planning board meetings that they had was about oh, a year and a half, two years ago, and that was completed. Um, there was you know some, some additions that they were doing, some added apartments and so forth. And uh, But, yeah, no, no problems. There was really no opposition, and everything that the planning board had asked them to do, they did. Uh, expanding into uh, you know a larger complex, I have not heard anything yet. It's 1036. We're talking with Michael Marinaccio with the town of Dickinson. Did, um, did anything new happen with that? There was... Um, a house that we talked about over, I think it was a house that nobody was living in, and there was a garage full of, of trash. Did that, oh, they, they yeah. took out all the trash. I know uh, yeah. last August, I think we had the, the the clever headline, tons of stinking trash removed <laughs> from garbage garage. I don't know who writes these headlines, but I gee, don't know. I, gee that, that got got my attention. So, so I know... Um, a few days after James Kelly had reported on the original story and taken mm-hmm. a picture of the big Trash garbage dirt. garage, yeah. there's a lot of garbage in there. Oh, my God. It, it, it was filled right to the ceiling with, with, with garbage. It just wasn't just stuff. <laughs> and rats. Somebody told me that uh, there were two rats that were living there, too. But they Two? <laughs> <laughs> more than that. <laughs> this is on Bigelow Street. and On Bigelow Street. Yeah. And I, I know the neighbors, after the garbage was removed, some of the neighbors were worried that, well, if the rats didn't have that garbage garage to play in, you know, where would yeah. they go? Where would they go? I'll tell you. This is not funny. I, I'm laughing only because you're the heck out of me. 
uh, we went there after the uh, garbage was removed. I, I, you know, some company came in and filled up a dump truck or dumpster with garbage. So we went there to to see. It was still a, a bit of a mess. I mean, there were still things, a little, a little bit of litter around the property. Um, and sure as heck, I'm, I'm standing in the driveway. We're taking pictures, and I look over to my left, about three, four feet away, and there's a rat. <laughs> a little rat named Ben. Yeah, Ben, Ben the rat, and he he was kind of looking at me, but he didn't look good. <laughs> he looked like he looked like he was dying, or he was mourning oh. the loss of the garbage. I don't know. But yeah, I, I mean, okay. it, it, the, the action was taken without consulting with the the resident rats. Yeah, well, the health department was there, so you know that that was helpful. And then uh, I guess they came in, whoever, and did a little bit more cleanup, but. As far as I know, that property is still vacant, and as far as I know, I could be wrong, but uh, we had disconnected them from water supply because there were sewer uh, pipes and whatever from the house to the sewer system was broken. (laughs) And uh, so that was a major health concern, and I'm not aware that the water's been turned back on again. I'm not really sure, and that won't get turned on until there's proof that they're hooked up properly, uh, you know, to the sewer system. So I, that was another place. That was that was a. I'll tell you, I give I give the neighbors credit. I really do. I've talked to them on the phone and in person, and uh, they've been very helpful. Obviously, they were very concerned. One of the one of the uh, ladies that lived next door was pregnant. Uh, so you know, they're, they're, when you see things like that, it, it just scares the living daylights out of you. And for a town to take action. Unfortunately, it takes so much time and it takes so long because you have to, you know, go to court or you have to take all of these steps, uh, you know, so that you don't get sued by the owner. And the people that own that property kept changing hands, kept changing hands. So every time they changed hands, you know, now you're dealing with someone else, and then they get 30 days to make repairs and whatever. It's it's frustrating, and the state laws sometimes hinder us. And that's something that um, I've been working on through my association, the towns. We're working on things like this in the hope that the, and I believe it's all taken, all of these things that are run by the Department of State, these are issues and items that do not go through the legislature. However, you want to let your legislators know what's going on so that they're aware and then put the pressure that you need to put on these people that are running the Department of State. They're the ones that issue these these updated codes that you have to follow, and we're mandated to follow them. Zipping back to Prospect Street, what is the latest on the old St. Stan's Elementary School? That was a bit of a problem uh, two or three years ago. Uh, A lot of repairs were needed. Mm -hmm. It's been idle for a long time. Uh, For a while, there were broken windows, and the place looked uh, horrific. It wasn't secured. I I know I I was able to peer in, and if I had wanted to go inside the empty school building, it would have been simple to do. What's the status of of that property? Yeah, I, I've been in there actually, and uh, had to wear a mask. Um, you know, as you're walking through, um, the, right now nothing. I know the windows have been boarded up at least on the first floor. Uh, can you still get in that building? I, I, I'm sure you could, but um, that's probably our one of our biggest headaches right now. Uh, I haven't heard of any uh, unlawful or criminal activities taking place there, but it's, it's a gigantic eyesore. I, I've talked to uh, 
the executive director, who's a fantastic person uh, from the land bank, to see if there was any way that that building could be either fixed or, to me, demolished. And uh, I think it should be demolished from what I saw, uh, especially in the bottom floor where water has seeped through and uh, ceilings and walls have, you know, kind of collapsed. And it's, 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 it's a mess. And at some point, something really needs to be done. Uh, I just don't know exactly how we're going to go about that, but we're trying. Who owns it now? I'm hesitating. Well, it seemed I, to me that it might have been owned by a, some sort of church or religious organization. I, last you I know, that's a good question, and I, I'm under the impression that Broome County might even own it for you know ta- taxi um, people not paying their right. taxes. Hmm. Um, so I'm writing this down because you know I, I, I kind of dealing with everything else that we've been dealing with. I kind of forget about that place. And um, I, I think that's a good question to find out. You know, what is the status? You know, if Broome County does take it over, uh, it'd be a good question as to what they're going to do. Usually they auction off these properties. And then you kind of hold your breath thinking, okay, who's going to buy it and what are they going to do with it? Um, to knock that, to demolish that building, you're talking probably a couple hundred thousand dollars. So... I don't know. Uh, well, the question the question is, and, and the building was constructed in 1917. That's back when things were generally built to last. So as some mm-hmm. old buildings from that era, I mean, look at what has been done at the Victory Building, not far from there in, in Johnson City, which was yeah. built around the same time. Uh, sometimes the buildings, even though they look horrible, Structurally, they they may still be sound. Uh, at one point, the old EJ Victory Building was slated for demolition. They thought it was beyond redemption, and it turns out a developer from Syracuse was able to come up with a vision and ultimately cobble together the financing sure. to make that possible. Now you're, you're right, and you, they, they usually label those type of buildings that, that have good bones, and and it's very important. So if the structure is sound, you know there's no structural deficiencies. Um, support systems and so forth, yeah, they could easily go in there and probably gut the inside. Again, I'm not an expert, I'm not an engineer, but from what I saw, it just didn't look good to me at all. But again, you you can't judge the status of a building from what you see internally, so you're, you're absolutely right. All right. Well, I'll check back with you at some point to see if if you're able to find out anything about the status or maybe future plans for the oh, yeah, St. Stan's on absolutely. 370 Prospect Street. Michael Marinaccio, thank you for uh, answering a few questions today. Any any time, you know. Again, I'm sorry I haven't been around for a while. And, you know, we've had some issues, but I'm back and. Uh, <laughs> I'd be glad to, uh, you know, come on uh, air uh, anytime. Thank you so much. Take care. It's ten forty-five. Bob Joseph live on News Radio WNBF ninety-two FM twelve ninety AM streaming at WNBF dot com. WNBF getting answers for you. 
1248. We're live, 607-772-1290. If you have thoughts, we still have one phone line at 607-772-1290. Yes, it's nice to have a phone line, especially when it works. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Good morning there, Bob. It's Dave from Vestal. What's up? Hello, sir. Hey, um, you know, <laughs> you know, when I'm in the mood for uh, some laughs, you know, I'll turn to MSNBC or CNN, and the laughs end up uh, turning into aggravation. <laughs> I, they, Bob, they're all over Trump for going to Ohio. They, yeah, I, I, I was uh, wondering myself, what the heck is wrong with him? Yeah, they, they question whether he, he would have went if, if it was an area that didn't vote for him. Why can't it be that he just cares, Bob? I mean, <laughs> I, and by I the way, what what business of his was it? What's going on there in East Palestine? Who invited him, and what what did he hope to accomplish except uh, trying to get a few votes for next year's Republican presidential primary? Bob, he doesn't have to. They love him in that area. That's my point. He doesn't need to have <laughs> He'd get their votes whether he stayed home or went. And so it doesn't really matter. So yeah, but it gave him a backdrop, whether it's for them. Actually, that's what makes it all the, the more twisted. Because you're right. They In the last election, more than 70% of the people, I'm told, in the uh, part of Ohio voted for him. So that's why it makes it even more cynical. A cynical ploy to show up handing out not just regular water, but his own brand of water, which he claims is somehow better than other water, which again shows how out of touch he is. Yes, my water is the best. Come on, man. <laughs> Okay, well, that's your opinion. That's, everyone has their opinion, Bob. I just think he cares. But, you know, another thing I want to mention I noticed when I listened to those stations, Bob, well, you know, I, I don't understand why they think they, they like to label people. I'm so tired of hearing it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so tired of hearing them when they talk about government workers, politicians, candidates. That they have to make sure they label them and throw in he or she is gay. Like that's a big selling point, like a big plus. You know, to them, hitting the jackpot is nominating a gay woman of color. Why do they push that? Why do they think? Well, not they that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, that's no, no, something to be celebrated. Yeah, but who do they think they're impressing? Do, do, do you ever hear them get excited over a candidate? Do you ever hear them say, that's a white heterosexual male? No, you don't. You don't that's taboo to them. It, well, they, so but they celebrate George Santos. <laughs> See what I'm saying? George Santos, so even, even though he has, shall we say, issues approaching the truth. I mean, he always keeps at least uh, a thousand miles between himself and truthiness. Uh, he still is a, a great New Yorker, and I think most Democrats uh, and most liberals are pretty impressed with his work so far. It's just so ridiculous. They feel need to do that. <laughs> Next thing you know, George Santos will be showing up over at East Palestine and handing out Santos water and say that it's even better than at other water that the guy was handing out yesterday, the guy from Florida. It's 1052. Bob Joseph is marveling day after day after day it's always something 
and you'll hear about it here on WNBF. This is... dense fog causing problems right now. According to the National Weather Service, areas of dense fog will continue to blanket a good portion of the high terrain in the Twin Tiers and the northeastern Pennsylvania area known as the Poconos. To punch them in the nose. The Poconos through uh, this afternoon. So drive carefully as you may encounter locations with near zero visibility. And um, they say considerable warming into the upper 40s to mid-50s and partial clearing is expected late this afternoon. So, dense fog, your special weather statement from the National Weather Service. Right now it's 39 in downtown Binghamton, the full forecast. Indeed, some dense fog and drizzle in the area for the next few hours. Mostly cloudy. High 48. Mostly cloudy tonight. Rain and snow showers. Low 27. Cloudy tomorrow. Some snow showers. Mainly in the morning. There could be areas of blowing snow. With temperatures dropping to 23 by late in the day. For Saturday, cloudy with a chance of snow showers in the afternoon. The high 31. And mostly cloudy and calm. Sunday, high 44. Bob Joseph live here on News Radio WNBF. WNBF Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Thursday, February 23rd. You're listening to WNBF. New York State has awarded millions of dollars to Johnson City to encourage more economic development activity in the village's downtown business district. Governor Kathy Hochul announced the award as the Southern Tier winner in the ongoing downtown revitalization initiative. The village submitted its application for the funding five months ago. Hochul said Johnson City laid out a very clear vision of what you want to see for the future with a plan designed to spur job growth and tourism. Mayor Martin Meany said we are at a tipping point and this is going to launch us well past where we need to be. Meaning recalled Johnson City's vibrant downtown that had existed when he was a child. He said as manufacturing businesses left the village, our downtown lost its life with a slow and steady decline. The mayor said the revitalization of the downtown district started with the construction of Binghamton University's pharmacy school building. That project marked the beginning of the health sciences campus along the Corliss Avenue corridor. Meany also cited the 156-unit apartment complex being developed in what had been the abandoned Endicott Johnson Victory Building. Johnson City officials now will develop a strategic investment plan to determine specific projects to be funded with money from the state grant. The money is to be used for projects targeted on nearly 200 acres in the downtown section of the village. The new after-school Satan Club being organized for students at a main Endwell school is expected to hold its first meeting in three weeks. June Everett of Colorado is the group's campaign director. She said the first after-school Satan Club was started near Portland, Oregon in 2016. In a WMBF radio interview, Everett said the club is an alternative option for public school children whose parents don't necessarily want to send them to Bible or evangelical religious clubs. Everett said there are seven after-school Satan Clubs in the United States in comparison with over 5,000 programs sponsored by evangelical organizations. 
Everett acknowledged some people aren't always happy with the name when they hear about plans to establish a new club, but she said, we believe this is part of our First Amendment rights and what makes the United States free. She said the First Amendment isn't going to defend itself. Everett said the kids that are attending love it, the parents that are attending love it, so we're here to stay. She also said, we've received a couple of permission slips electronically for Homer Brink students. But she added, it's really hard to gauge how many kids we will have on the day of the first meeting, which is scheduled for March 16th. Flyers distributed to Homer Brink students stated, after school Satan club does not attempt to convert children to any religious ideology. Maine Endwell Superintendent Jason Van Fossen has noted, although this district has given permission for after school Satan club to use school facilities, it is not endorsing the organization. An anonymous tip from the community led to multiple drug smuggling charges at the Broome County Sheriff's Correctional Facility this week. Investigators from the Corrections Investigation Unit of the Broome County Sheriff's Office received information from anonymous community members that an incarcerated individual, Devin True, age 36 of Endicott, was allegedly smuggling contraband into the correctional facility. As investigators began to initiate contraband protocol, True attempted to flush a package of contraband down the toilet of his cell. Officers and investigators recovered the container and further investigation revealed multiple packages containing various narcotics and contraband, including 167.5 suboxone strips of three different dosage. Within those strips, 13 were found to have contained a green dot. Further testing revealed these dotted strips contained methamphetamine, two packages of marijuana and synthetic cannabis, one package of tobacco and 113 matches and six striker strips. As a result of the investigation, Devin True was arrested and charged with criminal possession of a controlled substance in the third degree, criminal possession of a controlled substance, promoting prison contraband in the first degree, tampering with evidence, and promoting prison contraband in the second degree. This is the second time True has been arrested on contraband-related charges at the Broome County Sheriff's Correctional Facility. On January 31, 2018, True came into the facility, and during his initial search, he was found to be in possession of a contraband package. The package was opened to reveal heroin, Oxycontin, pills, synthetic cannabis, tobacco, and matches with the striker pads. He was arrested and subsequently sent to state prison for the charges related to this case. At the time of the most recent arrest, True was serving a Broome County court sentence related to a petty larceny charge. In Broome County Court, Jermaine Archer, age 46 of Binghamton, was sentenced to terms in New York State Prison after entering a plea of guilty to criminal contempt in the first degree and assault in the second degree. Archer entered a plea of guilty to the charges in March of 2021, but failed to appear in court for sentencing when directed. On the 21st of February 2020, Archer violated a court order of protection when he broke into a room at the Econo Lodge in the town of Dickinson and assaulted the person who the order stated he was prohibited from contacting. The order was in place from a previous domestic incident with the same victim. Archer was located by the Broome County Sheriff's Office Warrant Division in October 2022. He was sentenced to three years plus five years post-release supervision on the assault charge and two to four years in New York State Prison for the criminal contempt. The sentences will run consecutively. And New York officials gave final approval Wednesday for a measure that will lower the hourly threshold for when farm workers qualify for overtime pay. Under the adopted measure, the overtime pay threshold will gradually be reduced to 40 hours by 2032. It's a move applauded by labor movement advocates who have long called for tighter labor protections for farm workers. Right now, farm workers qualify for overtime after working more than 60 hours per week. To help farm owners adjust to the new measures, the state is expanding tax credits for farmers to ensure the new standards are implemented smoothly. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. 
Today's showers likely mainly before 9 a.m. Cloudy with a high near 48 degrees, a 60% chance of rain. Tonight, rain showers likely before 4 a.m., then a chance of rain and snow showers. Mostly cloudy with a low near 27 degrees, wind gusts as high as 28 miles per hour, a 60% chance of rain. Tomorrow, snow showers likely mainly before 11 a.m. Areas of blowing snow between 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Mostly cloudy with a high near 31 degrees, wind gusts as high as 38 miles per hour, a 60% chance of snow. Tomorrow night, mostly cloudy with a low near 15. Saturday, chance of snow showers mainly after 1 p.m. Cloudy with a high near 31 degrees, a 30% chance of snow. Saturday night, mostly cloudy with a low near 21. And Sunday, mostly cloudy, a high near 44. Sunday night, mostly cloudy, a low near 23 degrees. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. This is Bob Joseph on a Thursday, listening to News Radio WNBF. Now I've been happy lately, thinking about the good things to come. And I believe it could be something good has begun. Oh, I've been smiling lately, dreaming about the world at one. And I believe it could be. Someday it's going to come Cause out on the edge of darkness There is a peace train Oh peace train, take this country Come take me home again I've been smiling lately Thinking about the good things to come And I believe it could be Something good has begun Oh peace train sounding louder Well, for people in the news business in the United States and around the world, we know sometimes it can be dangerous. Usually, we think it's most likely going to be risky if you're in a war zone, if you're covering an active war, if you're a journalist in Ukraine, or if you're reporting thousands and thousands of miles away from home. You assume certain risks, and I have to admit, sometimes I'm surprised and concerned for journalists who show up and are in war zones, and clearly they're at risk all the time. And sometimes they are seriously injured, or sometimes they're killed while reporting on wars. Occasionally in the United States, there are cases where working journalists are hurt while covering the day's news, including sometimes stories of crime and violence. But it's very rare for a, a reporter in the United States to be killed on the job. And sadly, that's what happened yesterday to Dylan Lyons. Grew up in the Philadelphia area. He was 24, was working for Spectrum News 13, based in Orlando. 
and Dylan Lyons and his colleague, photojournalist Jesse Walden, were at the scene of a shooting that had happened a few hours earlier in Orange County. And for no apparent reason, the person suspected in the earlier shooting returned and fired on the two journalists, Dylan Lyons and Jesse Walden. Dylan Lyons died. Jesse Walden is hospitalized in critical condition. A nine-year-old girl also was killed, apparently by the same shooter. Earlier in the day, a woman had been shot, mother of the girl. And at times like this, you really don't know what to say. Of course, you send your condolences to all who are affected by that sudden loss of a 24-year-old journalist and the serious injury of his 29-year-old colleague. But sometimes those wishes seem to be insufficient. And inevitably, for those of us, for the few reporters who remain in the United States, when you hear a story like this, you do think about what could happen on any given day. And it really could happen on any given day. You don't know. You just don't know what to expect. You start every day like every other day, and it's you've got, at least in my case, you have stories that you are going to hope to report on, and yet you know that is always subject to change. I have a few stories I plan to work on today, but that could change as soon as the program's over, depending on breaking news. And it would not, unfortunately, surprise me if at some point between now and 5 this afternoon, I wind up, sadly, covering a story of some violent action that happened somewhere in Broome County. Hope not. But it could happen. And there have been instances. And for example, the one most notable was just 13 months ago, a little over 13 months ago, near Binghamton High School. And it was strange because I was going out toward the west side on Main Street at about 11.15 in the morning on January 6th last year and, and drove by the high school and drove by small restaurant at 52 Main Street. Didn't notice anything out of the ordinary. And then about three minutes later or so, after I was about a half mile away, there was word that came out about a high school student, 18-year-old Binghamton High School senior, who was shot in the chest. So, of course, I went back directly to the scene and began reporting and saw a, a, a horrible, a, a sad, a sickening scene of a high school student who was on the sidewalk in front of the restaurant just almost across the street from the high school, and he had been shot a couple of times. And 
and he was able to talk and and you could see him as he was being tended to by uh, police and, and then fire medics and then personnel from superior ambulance be- before it took a few minutes to stabilize him and get him set to be transported to wilson medical center and it, it's it's one of those things we're we're covering stories that that's a case where moments after the student was shot i'm on on the scene even there before some of the other emergency personnel additional medics were showing up and police and firefighters then just a few feet away they're they're tending to the high school student who was shot and the thing is what we didn't know at the time is the person who ultimately was charged with attempted murder in connection with the shooting probably was just a few feet away he was probably lurking around because a few hours later some people who were renovating an apartment building just around the corner on oak street they heard a guy in the basement it turned out to be the person who was suspected of shooting the high school student so nobody the police the medics the other students in the area nobody i as a reporter i had no idea that the shooter was probably lurking around just around the corner probably still with the gun he used in the shooting you just never know unfortunately the high school students survived the police were called less than three hours later to that apartment building on Oak Street, and they were able to take the suspect, the 17-year-old boy, into custody without incident. Nobody was hurt. But again, you never know. You never know what you'll be covering as a reporter. And that's certainly the case with what happened in Florida when Dylan Lyons and Jesse Walden and other journalists from Orlando media outlets went to that neighborhood to cover on a shooting that had happened earlier. And one would think the shooting, the initial shooting had happened in the morning. One would think as a journalist by 4.05 in the afternoon that there wouldn't be any particular risk being in that neighborhood, being in your company vehicle. And yet, sadly, at 4.05, Wednesday afternoon, the journalists were shot. Dylan Lyons and Jesse Walden were shot while they were in their vehicle, apparently, their Spectrum News 13 vehicle. Dylan Lyons died. Jesse Walden is hospitalized in critical condition. There are indications that he will survive. So we 
Send our condolences to everybody who was touched by that violence near Orlando yesterday. The family and friends of the nine-year-old girl who was killed. Uh, the family and friends of the woman, the 38-year-old woman who was killed earlier in the day. The family and friends of journalist Dylan Lyons who died and also we uh, wish Jesse Walden as well as his family and friends the best. Just it's hard to talk about but sometimes you need to talk about it because you never know. But that's true of everything in life. You never know. You start every day usually the same way. If you go to work you probably have a routine Monday through Friday pretty much the same thing every day have your day pretty much mapped out some days are a little different than others but still it's basically the same and yet you never know you never know what could happen so try to live each day to its fullest it's 11:23 I'm Bob Joseph on WNBF. Funny does. News Radio 1290 WNBF. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Eleven twenty-five with Bob Joseph on WNBF. Selena in Binghamton. Good morning. You're on the air. Hello, Bob Joseph. I just wanted to chime in. I've been listening to you throughout the last twelve years. I think you do an excellent job, and I would like to give you a tip of the hat. Thank you very much. And uh, I know people don't like me. I know what uh, because I'm old, but um. I just uh, love your show, and I'll always continue to listen. This uh, I dedicate this day to you, and you are part of my family. And you're part of our family, Selena. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. 1126 at WNBF. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Yes, this is Vinny from Binghamton. Yes. Uh, yes, good morning, Bob. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about... Um, with Maine Enwell and this uh, Satanic Club. Uh, you know, this is, um, I've said this many times on this program, that I uh, i know what they're doing. I've i have known a lot about this, this uh, group. Um, I had a friend who was, uh, used to be, go to church, but now she's, she's into uh, Wiccan. And we would always talk about it. And I could always talk about people with religion because I never tried to force mine, my beliefs on them. I always like to understand why they are where they are and what they think about all kinds of stuff, like, you know, the killings and, and the shootings like you just, uh, just talked about and how uh, you just never know. You know, what do you think about life and what this brings to us? But one of the things that I, I, I do agree with this club is I just don't. This is my thing, again, about the church and the state. I do not believe that any type of religious or faith should be in the church. I mean, should be in the schools because you do, you open a door and 
with all these church closings and with all these churches that could easily take um, these organizations, the Good News Organization, you don't have to be in the school. Why don't you stay in the church? I'm sure they would love to have you in these churches. Some of these churches can't even do um, um, ch- children programs, volunteers. There's a lot going on. But I see, I just don't like the school. Is it? Do you, do you have it there because it's convenient? But we've got 5,000 of them. And this group now is using, you know, our, our freedom. The amendment, hey, hey, freedom of church and state. I mean, here you go. So they can come in. Now, it's sad. I know I, I was listening the other day when I heard June talk about their in Chesapeake. Two days ago, they just had a bomb threat down there. Cops all over the place because somebody doesn't agree with their rights. And there you go. And it's one more thing. And uh, who did you talk to? Jason there? uh, He's probably thinking, well, this is one more thing our schools have to put up with. One more thing. And it's sad. It's sad, but like I said, it it shouldn't be. There should be no type of faith in these church and in these schools. You get that from home. You get that. There's plenty of churches around here. We got more churches and restaurants and places to eat in this town. You should be able to do it there. I do not support it being in schools. Appreciate your call. Thank you, Vinny. It's 1129 at WNBF to the town of Maine, Airport Road, Bob. Good morning. Hey, how's it going? Good. Listen, I'm trying to expand your uh your listening base, and I'm appealing to all the people that listen to you on a regular basis, like myself, to talk to their neighbors and talk to their friends. If they live in the uh, Airport Road, East Main Road corridor, town of Union, town of Maine, um, even the people that live in the town of uh, Port Dick on uh, Wilson Hill Road and Dimmick Hill Road and all of those, if any of those people are listening, um, please tell your neighbors, tell your friends, about this project, this IDA project. Um, the meeting was pretty um, informal and in a lot of um, maybes and ifs and no definite answers from the IDA. But the one question that a councilman did ask um, or town board member did ask on behalf of a resident was if there was any connection between the, any um, personal connection between an IDA agency member and the property owner um, because of the price that they're willing to pay for this property. It's almost over four times the assessed price. And um, Stacy, to her credit, I mean, I I really, I almost fell off my feet when she said yes, um, that there there was a connection. Now, I don't know, but there must be some kind of conflict of interest in my point of view. But we need all the people in that area, all the people in those towns to come on, let's wake up, let's get involved, let's pay attention to what's going on, and tell your neighbors, look at what the the facts are, if you can get them, because um, there's very little information going on right now. It's still so hush-hush. But if we don't start talking about it and getting things done now, nothing's going to get fixed, and they're going to end up with a corporate park, um, the people with lovely views up on Wilson Hill Road and, and uh, Dorman Road, um, they'll be looking down on a, a complex like the one in Conklin, because that's how Stacy Duncan 
wanted to compare them. She says it's going to be like Conklin. Um, any residents in the Conklin area near that corporate park, um, please call in. Tell us your views on the corporate park in your backyard. Are you happy with the amount of diesels uh, running uh, 24 hours a day? Are you happy with the lighting in the parking lot? And, and are you happy with the traffic? Come on, people. Get up off your butts and call Bob Joseph and talk, okay? That's Sounds like that movie day. Network. Hey, listen, you, did you see the movie, Y'all the President's Men? Yep. Uh, do you remember what the secret of that movie was? The guy called Deep Throat? Yep. Okay, well... I'm not deep throat, but I want to help whoever is out there that can help with this. So I'm going to be the noisemaker. I don't, I don't need to be silent. I don't need to be hiding behind a cloak. I, I'm nobody. I'm just an old guy that's lived here 70 years and don't want to see my neighborhood changed or destroyed. Um, I'm hoping other people will start to become active. Bob, I hope, I hope you get so many calls I can't even call in anymore. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. You know, one of the things, whether it's about um, a new use for for property in a rural section of Broome County or other projects, what what I note this in this day and age, a lot of people are concerned. They're not apathetic, but a lot of times it seems to me the people I speak with are resigned because whether it's a county agency or a state agency or the city of Binghamton or any other entity that, that has the potential for use of eminent domain or other things ostensibly for the public good. People think, well, the deck, deck is, is stacked against them. The, the government-related entities essentially have unlimited resources, whereas individual property owners even the owners of of commercial or industrial properties they don't have that money in most cases most cases the person who's being targeted by eminent domain or by something that may affect their property values in most cases they're not elon musk they don't have much money to to go up against the well-financed resources government or corporate resources if they have a plan and i think a lot of times people just think it's a done deal they'll hold public That's hearings the they'll have public hearings and then go forward with whatever they wanted to do it happens with the dot all the time there were lots of people in broome county who didn't want hundreds or however many homes were taken homes and businesses or the highway and uh, even with respect with the the Greenway projects between Binghamton and Vestal, there were a lot yep. of people who protested. The residents along uh, Vestal Avenue, including some who are very very wealthy and had access to good attorneys, they couldn't stop it. So well, that's, that's one. That's one of the reasons that helps to explain, in my view, one of the reasons why some people just don't speak up. But I don't want to discourage people. You still have a right to to express your opinions, including on a program like this. So I appreciate your call. Keep me posted. You will. I, I will, Bob. Thank you. It's eleven thirty-five. WNBF. It's a sad commentary right now. There's only one program like this in Binghamton. This is it, folks. 
And I'm not saying it's a great program. I won't even say it's a good program. It's just a program. And it's been on for over a decade. And I like to think we help get some things accomplished and publicize some things and try to give everyone generally fair and, and appropriate treatment to express themselves. But, on the other hand, you know, some people, especially some people involved in big projects, have absolutely no desire to come on the program to explain their side. That should be another thing. Everybody who's involved in this project, they know how to get hold of me. I'm easy to reach. I return phone calls. I reply to emails. So anybody who's involved, property owners, the people who support the plan, they know how to get in touch with me. But you know most of them won't. This is Bob Joseph. The phone number, as always, is 607-772-1290. That's another thing. I answer the phone every morning between 9 and noon. Who else actually does that? You're listening to News Radio, WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, streaming at WNBF.com. Eleven forty, Bob Joseph on your Thursday morning, taking calls at 607-772-1290. Feel free to call in if you'd like to talk for a couple of minutes right here on WNBF. from Binghamton. You're on the air. Good morning, Bob. I was calling about one thing, but then um, the news that happened in Orlando made me think about another thing and, uh, you know, to thank all the reporters for what they do. And it kind of reminds me of what happened in 2015 in Roanoke, um, where the reporter and camera person were killed live on air. And yeah, that was another another tragedy. And, and you know, these especially young reporters, not that it would make a difference, how old the reporters, the journalists were in that case, or in the case in the Orlando area, but still, you look at at how much, how hard they have to work, and the the challenges that they face every day, and then to have their careers uh, ended early under such circumstances, it's it's hard to believe. Definitely, yeah, it should never, you know, no, no shooting should ever happen, but you know, this is it, senseless killings. It, it just never makes sense. Um, so they're, they're definitely in my thoughts uh, right now. But what I was calling about, um, the local economic development really needs uh, um, a kick in the butt to really do well. Um, and similar to the previous caller, you know, my concern is, is specifically only the cost per acre. Um, the location is not my main concern because biz. Uh, a developable area, yeah, there's residential right near near it or adjacent to it. Um, but w- a previous time when when they called, I believe what I heard was a concern that 
the the towns and the IDA should listen to the taxpayers in that they don't. People are saying our taxes are so high here. How come we can't get any industry? And that's you know it's that double edged sword. Do you want developments in an area that's not being used for anything? It's vacant property right now. There's no farming used on it now. It, it's available, and in my opinion, why not use it to the best ability and build up that corridor where people can live near where they work and you know work with uh, near where they live, um, and then. The other side of it is planning. Um, you know, that's there, there's, they, they want to do something there, but is it part of a bigger plan? And same thing with the city of Binghamton. Is there a big plan for everything they'd like to do? Um, during the comment period for the mayor the other day, he was talking about the BOA, um, you know, the, the North Shenango area um, plan, but is that built into the... Um, the, the plan for near the stadium district, is that built into the plan for the downtown area? Probably not. They need to look at everything and then work with the, the countywide one and work with the neighboring towns and villages, which also goes to the, the research option uh, aspect of it, where when you build a plan, you need to research. The fact that he or whoever did the research didn't know that Galisi in Albany is not the same as the Galicia that owns the property in Binghamton just floored me. And so, you know, research needs to be done. Plans need to be worked together with everybody. And so there's a cohesive plan and we can build up um, stuff downtown. And actually the eminent domain reminded me of another thing in Utica um, for the new hospital downtown, they used eminent domain to build a parking garage, a 1,300 space parking structure across from their uh, hockey arena and right next to the um, hospital. They're building up parking, similar to Ithaca's building up parking. Burlington, Vermont has a lot more parking than Binghamton area. And we're decreasing uh, parking, which doesn't make sense. But again, that needs to be looked into the plan, see what we want to do in the future and grow and not think, oh, we're just going down. Interesting points. I appreciate it, Dave. Keep an eye on things for me. Thank you. Enjoy. It's 11.45 at WNBF. Selena is back with us. Good morning. What's up? Oh, okay. We lost Selena. Anyway, it's 11.45, uh, 607-772-1290. We'll try to get to as many calls as possible in the time that remains. Of course, if you don't make it on the program today, there's always tomorrow. Of course there is. Fridays tend to be a little bit more fun. We'll see if tomorrow proves to be the exception. Bob Joseph Live. This is WNBF. Remember, you can stay connected with your favorite radio station using the free WNBF app. Eleven forty-nine. Bob Joseph live on WNBF. Solveig from Binghamton. Good morning. You're on the air. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm trying. Yeah. All right. That's all we can do. Anyway, thanks for <laughs> thanks for calling back uh, in. Um, yeah, I was supposed to write you, and I ran out of stamps, and then I, I 
thought that I, they were taken from me or whatnot, and I, I found them way later on. I don't know if they were replaced by somebody who needed them or what, but there's a lot of stuff going on, you know. As far as, like, this uh, stuff with the government, I think that, yeah, we're a democracy, but I think it also says that the people are the government, and I think that the people need to just uh, try to take over, you know, some of the stuff, like helping other people and stop being so depressed by what's going on. It's it's difficult, but I think that um, people need to get more involved with helping other people and stop relying on this, you know, government, what's going on. And I do think that, I do sympathize with Trump. I can't help it. I mean, I think he's harassed too much. It's just, I think he was intelligent and friendly with other countries and I think he might have done something like initiating peace talks before a war broke out. And I kind of think that uh, other countries looked up to this country uh, more back then and kind of thought something like that might be initiated again or something. I'm not entirely sure of that, but I just think it's terrible what's going on in this world uh, right now. Well, hopefully um, things will get better. I, I think things are going to get better, but I'm not sure how soon that'll be. I'm not sure things will get better in the next two or three months, but I I think uh, as we look to the future, I, I think there's reason for hope. We're going through tough times now, but I think... Um, whether it's our domestic issues or things going on around the world, I I think ultimately some some progress will be made. So don't don't lose sight of that hope. Okay. okay? Yes. Okay. Well, well I'll, I'll send you uh, the the letter. And, okay. Um, yeah. I I don't know. I'm kind of pretty, but I don't. People don't seem to reach reach me as a person that much. I do have a, like, I know, a fault that I'm, I'm working on. I don't have a lot of money. I'm, All right. Well, hang in there and, and keep in touch. Okay. Thank you. It's 11.51 at WNBF. This is Bob Joseph on a Thursday morning. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Hey, Bob. This is uh, James from Unwell. Hey, what's on your mind? Yeah, what do you think about that bill that they wanted the state senator down at Big Flats put to increase the speed limit to 70? Well, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to have an impact on most of us. I think we're, uh, as New York drivers, speaking on behalf of myself, I'm a New York driver. I'll go as fast as I want. I think that's <laughs> probably true of about 80% of drivers, whether the speed limit is... Uh, 55, 65, 75, 105, 119. We'll go as fast as we want and try and stop us. Statistics show there's an increase in death and accidents. And uh, well, I, of course, that every makes five sense. Miles per hour. Yeah, yeah, but as as the state senator would say, statistics be darned. Well, they're going to have to fix those potholes going west of us. No, they don't. No, they, they, they're not going to do it in Tioga County. That's a Republican county, and they don't care if the entire both 17 and 434 and 17C, they don't care if it turns into total rubble until Tioga County no, really. gets, gets with the program and starts to vote for Democrats, including for the governor. They can count on their roadways looking like uh, more like a lunar landscape. You remember back in the 70s, they decreased it to 55, and it saved a lot of gas mileage back when there was a fuel. Yeah, I thought that was Richard Nixon's idea, wasn't it? Uh, Richard Milhouse Nixon, a Republican, I think, slowed things down to 55. And think about this. If a Republican 
What if uh, Ron DeSantis announced he would support a 55-mile-an-hour speed limit if he becomes president? What, what do you think would well, happen to him? I'm not sure, but I know when I was driving down to Florida in nice flat roads uh, with my car, I was getting about 30 miles to the gallon. But when I, that's when I was going 65, 70. But when I backed it down to 55, I was suddenly getting over 40, about 45. So, well, exactly, and and that's that's one of the things. Now, I'm not, I'm not espousing a 55 mile an hour speed limit for this country because I know that's untenable. But I am saying for people who complain about gas prices and potential fuel shortages, if you're concerned about the high cost of gas or concerned about the uh, sufficient supply of petrol during periods of high travel, then slow down, save gas, so the supply will be right. higher, and save money, so you'll have more money to send to WNBF as part of my pledge right, drive. Right. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, our our goal this hour is twelve hundred ninety dollars. But I've been driving all over. I drive truck, and I've been driving uh, Pennsylvania, New York, and. Uh, they're going 70, 75. They're going 80. If it's in the 70, they Some go are going 119. And you got, well, judge the judge there, Perrine, was it? What was her name? She's on cable. <laughs> She's on the Fox Humor channel. Yeah. <laughs> she makes me laugh. And not yeah. only is she a former judge, but she's a former district attorney. So she knows the law. She knows how to manipulate the law because she has uh, a lot of experience uh, as uh, an attorney. So she knows all the loopholes. Well, not only will there be more accidents and deaths, but this is going to put our health care costs up more, too, for all the health care you know, increase in uh, injuries. Yeah, but and that means higher insurance rates. I don't think that bill will go through to you. Well, I guess it's gone through in like twenty some states. Yeah, I don't think so, yeah. I don't think Democrats. That was proposed by a, a Republican in Shimon right. County. I don't I don't see it getting approval by the Senate or the Assembly, and I certainly don't see Governor Hochul signing it. So I I don't think it's going to change. But again, it it's not going to affect the speed at which most people drive. Appreciate the call. And that is all the time we have for today. However, I will be back tomorrow, and I look forward to hearing from you on the Friday program. In the meantime, have a great afternoon. I'm Bob Joseph. You're listening to News Radio, WNBF, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, WNBF.com. Hey, hey, peace for WNBF, Binghamton.